As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Bringing life back into balance with a more thoughtful approach to wealth management. Now, from Capstone Wealth Management, here's Chris Klein on the big 1070, 1070 AM at 100.9 FM. All right, welcome in. I am Mike Hill. It's another week talking finance. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management with you for the next hour. Diving into the week that was in the financial world and giving the best advice there is for investors. Chris Klein, he is a fee-only financial advisory service located in Prairie du Sac. There's a satellite office in Lakeland, Florida, and a number of ways to get in touch with him. You can do so via phone, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can email them, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. And then check them out on Twitter at careformywealth. I am located at MD Pilch. Chris, how are you doing this morning? Good. How about you? Not bad. A little tired, though, but that's the kind of week I've had. I think uh, some of the overcast weather we had finally was a little bit part of it, too. But any day you're above ground is a good day, the way I look at it. Amen. Amen. I'm with you. Talking about uh, Q3 earnings expectations and therefore market expectations today as we're finally out of the doldrums of the market as we've moved into the month of October. Also something Chris calls smart data or data, if you will. No idea what that means. Chris will let us know. I like how your business, Chris, calls everything smart and dumb, though. Smart and dumb, and it's smart beta, like the Greek letter, the Greek letter B. Yeah, beta. All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Smart beta. Now I'm even more confused, so this helps a lot. We may Perfect. mention the job reports. That came out, I think, on Friday, and it's a little bit skewed because of the hurricane affecting things or hurricanes in fact, affecting things. So 
Uh, we may mention that and more as we get going. So, Chris, the Q3 earnings expectations, we're in the third quarter now, and we're kind of done with the summer doldrums of the market. We're starting to get to nitty-gritty time here. So what can people expect? Yeah, uh, well, here's what's interesting. I'm thankful that we're not having what seems to have been typical October activity, at least not yet. You know, that, of course, can change with, with earnings numbers coming in. But, you know, October so far in the first, uh, what, six trading days of the month have been quiet. <laughs> you know, you anticipate uh, October to be crazy uh, a crazy month just because of its historical past, you know, the, uh, the the Black Monday sort of thing having happened in October. And, of course, that puts a mark on people's minds. October is traditionally and seasonally the weakest month um, of the year. It, uh, it, it, it just happens to be that way. I'm not really sure why, but Q3 earnings is important. Um, and I think it's important simply because it's, it's really the last earnings look that you're going to have at companies for 2017. Mm. Um, they don't report Q4, of course, until we're into 2018. So the importance of this particular report coming in, I think, is magnified just because anybody and everybody that's managing money is kind of scurrying to lock in good trades and you know hedge funds and the money that they've got, obviously, are positioning themselves um, for 2018. And, uh, and so because of that, you, you have a tendency to see a little bit more turnover during the fourth quarter. Um, while all these portfolio moves are going on. And that's a little bit of the reason why you, you see a little bit of volatility in October, but it, it, it certainly doesn't account for all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the hurricanes. Uh, great point. It, it was clearly a very strange quarter. Just obviously there were three hurricane events and not small ones. Yeah, not <laughs> one hurricane event. We had three. Right. I, I, right. I can't get over that. You know, you know, it reminds me. This, I, well, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, I was just going to say, I, so I originally moved from Wisconsin to Florida back in 1993. My wife and I spent 11 years there. We left in August of 2004 to come back to Wisconsin. Not once in that 11-year period was there any one named storm that came across the Florida mainland or even the Keys. It Nothing. You know, some tropical storms, big deal. It's like a like a bad rainstorm. Yeah, I right? think Andrew had been the last one. The last one. 2004, you get whacked with Charlie and, and oh, goodness, Ivan and Jeannie. And there were like four named decent category, four, uh, category storms that rolled through Florida. And since then, of course, we've had pretty much nothing. So... You know these things go in cycles, and we know that they do. But having them come in these uh, in these what feel like multiples in one year, it, it it's tough. So that sort of stuff really hurts um, data. Think you know, of this for a second: we had the three hurricanes, and then you had the major earthquake in Mexico. You had the wildfires out west, and now the Vegas shooting, all within a handful of months of each other. Uh, it's crazy. I know. I, <laughs> All right, too much bad news. Yeah, I don't want to. Let's get on with things. That's <laughs> fair. I just want to make that point. Yeah, I, I know, and, and I'm hopeful that the the, the third quarter is not going to contain you know bad news as it relates to to companies and things like that. It, we do know that these hurricanes could depress the earnings of of some sectors. I mean, retail. You know, you think about that. Not many people were in Houston and Puerto Rico, and certainly many areas in Florida just out you know leisurely shopping to spend money. 
while these storms were either coming in or while they're there or the days shortly thereafter. Um, sure, some of the, the uh, home builder type companies could do fine because people were mm-hmm. buying Home Depot and Lowe's out of wood and shing, you know shingles or whatever else they can get their hands on to help button down the hatches. But, uh, you know, the, the retail sector could be negatively impacted. Um, some of the other sectors could be too, like materials. Interestingly enough, retail has been so hated <laughs> for so long, and everyone has consistently held on to the belief that Amazon is going to put them all out of business, that they've just been beaten <clears throat> down so badly that, oh, goodness, there's a number of retail names that we just love. Mm. And it's it's not a sector that we're afraid of at this point. It's one that we've been looking very heavily at to see whether or not we can uh, you know diversify into some of these beaten down names. and. I, I would suggest that there are more than a few uh, in the retail sphere that have, in fact, turned the corner, um, and people are still shying away from them. And, and, you know, this hurricane event is going to be one of these elements that probably still causes people to to shy away. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's when you buy something, when no one else wants to. And and that's what makes this business so hard for so many people is, is to buy good businesses at the time where no one wants them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> um, the other areas that could be affected, of course, are companies that had, uh, a lot of operations in Houston or Western Florida or, or Puerto Rico. I mean, oh, when you think so. of companies that were doing business there or they're headquartered there, they may have some larger write-offs than, than other companies due to, you know, damages or outages or t- things like that that took place. So we kind of we talk about retail all the time because it's such a good example of what's really going on in the American economy. And in a way, if some of these places like Home Depot, Lowe's, this could really affect most all retail people because if they lost their homes, they're going to have to buy stuff again. So those numbers are going to be a little bit skewed, too, if they go up, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of talk and a lot of things written in the past well, since these hurricanes have come across that, Hey, and I actually heard a few people say this and I kind of, I kind of felt myself go like you shriek a little bit. I heard someone say, yeah, hurricanes are good for the economy. And I thought, you know, that's a really dingling thing thing to say. I get where they're coming from. They're trying to suggest that, Hey, when things get blown away, you have to rebuild. Well, that's great, but I'd be willing to bet you that anyone in that storm's path would have would have traded not having been blown away with blown away just to rebuild. And uh, yeah, some companies might experience an uptick in in some activity in the short run, but uh, I don't know. I'm not sure I buy into that whole that whole thing. Um, are we seeing some companies since the the hurricanes kick in gear? Yeah, sure. Uh, the home builders definitely you're seeing it there. Uh, the do-it-yourself stores, Lowe's, Home Depots, you're seeing it there. Some companies like Lumber Liquidators, you're seeing it there. You know, so clearly there's a an effect that investors anticipate a lag on that's going to come in. Um, you just have to be choosy. You have to be careful because it's a little bit hard to uncover the the detail of what the damage may or may not have been for some of these operations, you know. Um, and then you think of the insurance world. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. I don't even know if they've come to a conclusion as to what these storms have cost yet. I, I don't know that I've seen a a reliable number anywhere. Have you? No, it's going to take a little while yet. They're still sifting through all the damage. I mean, it's going to take a long time, but yeah. I mean, let's face it, it's billions, hundreds of billions, oh, I yeah. think. 
you know, when, when it's, uh, when it's all said and done and how much of that is going to fall on, um, you know, fall on some of these insurance companies that, uh, you know, that, that are perhaps part of the market, maybe even part of the S and P 500, you know, is that, is that going to weigh on some of the index returns because obviously they've got exposure to these things? Maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's always a little bit hard to say until we actually start to see some of the numbers come out. So I guess uh, as the show develops, I'm just going to talk a little bit about uh, earnings expectations and what that might look like and, and, you know, where you might want to consider positioning yourself here as we move into the end of the year and beyond. And that's what they want to hear. We'll be back with that in a moment. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management of the Big 1070. With you till 10 o'clock, I am Mike Pilch, along with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. And right now, it's time to turn our focus to earnings expectations here for the third quarter. And that, of course, will lead into what our market expectations are. So, Chris, what do we expect? Because this is really what people want to hear there is this quarter will close out 2017. It will yeah, it will close out 2017, that's for sure. You know, I mentioned in the last segment that um, that these storms certainly have, have kind of changed some of the uh, some of the dynamics of this whole thing. So it's definitely going to be a quarter where people are going to need to look deeper um, in terms of companies' earnings reports and things like that to really understand what's going on and, and whether or not those storms have, in fact, impacted companies in, in an adverse way. And it, it's going to be a little bit hard to know right on the surface. <clears throat> Most people, I'm guessing, don't spend time reading company transcripts and earnings reports. <laughs> I think about 99.9% of them don't. <laughs> you know, I think most people are just throwing money at an index and saying, out of heck with it, you know, and, and okay, that's fine. Um, you know, you mentioned your, the uh, employment report um, and, and that it did had have a, a, a bit of a negative viewpoint to it. It, you kind of got to take it and throw it completely out. Um, the one takeaway that we did get from that earnings report is it still showed temporary jobs essentially strong and leading, and that's not what you want. You right. know, you you want strong, good quality, real employment growth. And, and they count that as a job in the job report, right? A part-time they, they, seasonal. Job. Yeah, right. They do, and it just. That's fine. I mean, it's it, it oftentimes can lead to full employment, but at the end of the day, a temp job is a temp job. So, mm-hmm. you know, at any rate, you know, what what should we be expecting with regards to, you know, Q3 earnings and, and you know, how is the market going to react to that? Right now, the market is priced for growth, period. For example, the overall price to earnings ratio of all S and P 500 companies is 17.4. Right, mm-hmm. that's higher than the normal PE of the of the of the uh, of the index. The normal PE is about 15. So, what does that mean? Well, to justify those multiples, the market is expecting growth. That's what that means. Period. It it sets up a situation where companies have got to beat their earnings estimates, though. And if they don't beat these estimates, in a manner where the market is expecting it, then you're going to end up seeing some volatility. Some companies, some sectors, some indexes are just going to get whacked if, in fact, these beats don't happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, there's a group out there called FactSet, F-A-C-T-S-E-T, and 
it, it basically gives um, those of us that pay attention to this stuff tons and tons and tons of data regarding earnings. And FactSet is reporting that earnings estimates right now are showing a 4.2% year-over-year growth from third-quarter earnings of 2016. Now, obviously, that still shows growth. I mean, 4.2% is positive. Right. <laughs> but there have been some erosions in these estimates. For example, just two months ago, analysts at FactSet were expecting earnings to grow 7.5% this quarter. Wow. And Yeah, so for it to know, now come down to 4.2, I find a little bit interesting. Um, we're just seeing more companies releasing more negative guidance than positive guidance. And that's not fully abnormal, though. I mean, they're simply trying to tamp down expectations for the quarter, right? Mm -hmm. So you think it's more <clears throat> them specifically doing that than anything else? I, we do, yeah. We think, you know, Apple is a master of it. <laughs> they, they have done this for so many years and so many quarters, it's actually laughable because everybody knows they're doing it, and then they come in the quarter. I mean, it's like a dog. Hey, where you been? Where you been? Oh, yeah, you left yeah. for a week. You came back an hour later, and they're excited yeah. to see you, you know? Right. <laughs> it's the same thing. They tell people, oh, you know, this quarter is going to be a little bit down. We're not selling as many iPhones, uh, you know, and they tamp down expectations. Stock price pulls back. And then they announce earnings, and it's like, Greatest quarter ever. Well, <laughs> what happened to you guys lowering, you know, the uh, the bar? Well, that that's what they're doing. They're lowering the bar. <clears throat> Market has sometimes a very very short short memory when it comes to these earnings numbers, and it really is all about what have you done for me lately. So if they can if they can somehow get analysts to believe their story that yeah it's uh, not looking that great, you know we're hurricane affected us here and we didn't have mm -hmm. the retail sales over there and, and the next thing you know analysts say well maybe it's not going to be as good we wanted seven and a half but you know we're going to drop it to four well then they post you know six and everybody thinks it's like the greatest thing since sliced bread right so any rate it, it's important to remember that the whole earnings game is sometimes a game and it's one of these where when you're managing money for a living like we do, it's important to pay attention to because mm -hmm. it drives the the investments that are going to ultimately do well. It's going to ultimately drive what we see happening in the indexes, whether the Dow or the NASDAQ or the S&P. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the third quarter earnings numbers probably are going to be good. And they're probably going to be good not just because – there's growth, but because there's growth greater than what current consensus estimates are. And that's what makes a good quarter, you know? So one of the things that we have to remember, though, too, is that last quarter, a positive earnings surprise did not guarantee upward stock price movement. Mm -hmm. in, in fact, the average move for a company that beat estimates <laughs> It, this still kind of blows my mind because it's it's one of these anomalies. When a company beats estimates both on the top line and the bottom line, their earnings, their revenue, and their earnings numbers, right? You just expect the stock price to move up. Why? Because they're making more money, they're selling more stuff, and at the end of the day, why does the stock price go up? Because the company's earning more money, right? Right. Last quarter, the average move for a company that beat estimates was a negative. Three cent price movement. Now, 
Three cents doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're taking that over the universe of all companies, obviously mm-hmm. you're recognizing that some got pounded right. when they beat earnings. It was the first quarter in five years where that had occurred, Mike. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah, it, it, it caught people by surprise. It really, really did. And I mean, we sat in front of our terminals, I don't, can't tell you how many days, just saying, well, now that's odd. Well, oh my goodness, what's up with that? You know, that kind of a reaction. So, so far, early earnings releasers um, that have happened for Q3 are, are showing that this trend might, in fact, be continuing. Hmm. Um, so, what it means, again, is that a good Q3 earnings report, in and of itself, doesn't guarantee good on the short term. You might have to let some of these, these uh, you know, high-frequency traders or whomever they might be kind of work themselves out, but you get a company that has a good beat, you know, then we would anticipate it to really move to the upside. Um, so in a word, uh, or in a very short sentence, what do we expect from Q3 2017 earnings? Slow and steady. Okay. Kind of the way it's been, except is it going to be a little quicker than it's been? Um, Cause it's there's been going to be steady, some... but very slow. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be some sectors that, just really knock it out of the park. And we have a tendency to believe that we're going to see some really ballpark blowing estimates coming out of some of the, uh, some of the energy companies, mm-hmm. uh, some of the retail names and some of the home builders. Um, we just can't, I just can't stress enough that, you know, for, for investors who are really attempting to find a way to navigate this market, if in fact they're trying to do it themselves, you just are going to have to look deeper to understand these earnings reports and finding good companies that are growing earnings and beating estimates is, is not just something you want. It is the most important element, um, you know, to look for it's, it's not the company that's got the greatest technology at the time or the company that's got, you know, some new fad and angle product that they just threw off the market. It, the market's going to punish stocks that cannot hit their estimates, and, and, and it's going to punish stocks that barely beat their estimates. So if a lot of those companies happen to be confined to one or more of the indexes, then that's where you're going to see the indexes get hit mm-hmm. if, they, if they don't handily beat their estimate numbers. So that's the sort of stuff you got to look for. And as I said, so far for the earnings releasers, which granted have not been many, <laughs> It, it's not a pile of names that have come out and done this so far, but it, for those that have, it just gives us the indication that the Q2 trend of slow growth, but nonetheless growth is there. But if they don't beat those numbers by a strong proportion, then all of a sudden they might not have a great day for a short period. Now, now that can wash itself out once the market recognizes, oh, goodness, that was an overreaction. They're still making piles of money. Maybe we should buy. And then, right. You know, it gets pushed back up again. I haven't heard you say the word bear yet, bear market at all. No. Uh, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. Alan and I were talking the other day just uh, because there were some items of sentiment that it kind of caught our eye, you know. Um, one of the sentiment items I actually posted out on uh, on, on my, my Twitter feed, <clears throat> and, and it had to do essentially with, with some of the sentiment numbers in terms of people's expectations for stock market growth, mm-hmm. right? And, and people's expectations for stock market growth is what we would refer to right now being at the extremes, right? And we have this mantra that we have lived by for years, be aware of the herd at extremes. Right. 
<clears throat> the herd is definitely, uh, I don't know if I'd call them giddy, but they are expecting it. I joked with Alan. I said, yeah, it's great. I just tell everyone go on vacation because stock prices only go up. Well, <laughs> clearly that's not true. Um, it, it, it takes a long time for investor complacency to kind of work its lethal damage. Yeah. But the reality is, is that when everybody becomes confident that, that they can do this on their own and that there's no need to worry about risk and that they pile into markets hand over fist, that's the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing evidence of mom and pop investors, you know, the, the retail crowd just piling into the market, right? everybody becomes confident that they're going to recognize the danger in plenty of time to get out. You know, that that's kind of how the process goes. It's like, Oh, Hey, the market's getting, it's really going, I I can do this. And then it goes good for so long that you become complacent. And then everybody starts screaming about, Oh, it's dangerous. You got to be a little bit worried. And the the retail crowd has this belief that, well, I'll recognize it. I, I know I'll be able to get out. You know, but the things that really scream potential bear market and and economic recession are things like an inverted yield curve. Mm-hmm. Well, an inverted yield curve doesn't get blasting headlines. You know, but we've talked about this in the past, how market... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's don't, don't turn down immediately after an inversion in the curve. And the economy doesn't crash as soon as you get an inversion of the curve. There's this delayed reaction. And, and that's why it's critical to have you know, some form of a guiding instrument that's going to tell you the altitude and the likelihood of, of an impending change in altitude, right? I mean, how many times have you, just to put it into real life, how many times have you heard stories about pilots of planes flying based on their senses and crashing straight into the ground or the mountain because they thought they were going up? I, well, fortunately, I've never heard of that, really. Well, in the, in the small plane world, it happens more than you want to want to... You want to know okay. it, it goes on a lot you know the and i'll tell you when you're if you're flying a small plane and you're in the air your senses can play tricks on you if in fact you're in a cloud cover sure. if, you're, if you're if you're forced to fly by your instruments you have to fight the emotion of what your body is feeling because it's feeling something completely different than what your instruments are telling you it, it's super super weird well guess what money management is the exact same thing your instruments will tell you stuff that are, is not making sense at the time. It, it'll tell you things that you're not seeing or experiencing in the market around you. And yet you ignore those warning signs, and that's where people get themselves into trouble. 
So and the, it's, that, it's that sort of thing that is, is causing, in our opinion, the potential for worry. But do we have a bear market indicator or, or a bear market you know, intruder in the in the in the lurk right now. No, we we don't. I don't believe that that's the case. Yeah, the key is reading the tea leaves when you don't realize you should be reading them. I guess. Yeah. That's the way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's what you know. That's what makes some of these things so powerful. Is that you know, I use the the yield curve as an example, just because it is probably one of the most powerful economic indicators that's out there. And, you know, I've heard pockets of analysts say, well, you know, the yield curve doesn't work anymore because we've been at, you know, zero to negative rates for so long. Well, I don't believe that because guess what? The bond market's a pretty smart place, Mm -hmm. and if it is telegraphing lower yields in a long-term comparative to short-term, then something's economically wrong. And it might not tell you exactly what that wrong is, but it's clear that something's not right in Kansas. So you don't ignore it. But because there's a lag on that all-important indicator, people forget about it. They see it. They might read about it and go, oh, look, inverted yield curve. That's, that's usually bad. Well, then it reverts to a normal slope, and three months go by, and nothing's happening, and then four months, and then five months, and then all of a sudden, bam. Well, where did that come from? Well, the yield curve told you about it. It just happened to have a right. six to nine month lag on it. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, I don't know how many people. Uh, does the average investor they have? I guess you can look up where the yield curve is. So yeah, I guess they know what that what that's about. Yeah, I mean you can find it very easily. I mean the problem that I have found, Mike, over the past, oh, probably well for the last twenty four months for sure, but maybe starting in the last five or so years. The problem that I'm finding is that nobody fully wants to invest or believes how to invest in businesses anymore. I mean, they believe yeah. investing is, is essentially isolated to throwing money in an index. And, I mean, that's not, in, in our opinion, that's not buying a business. That's buying an index that, I mean, you cannot invest in an index technically. It, right. it's, it's an oddity. You know, you, it's this compilation of, of things that makes up this thing they call the S&P 500. Well, that's great, and index investing certainly has a place, but there is a much, much broader world of investing in owning businesses and and owning those businesses in a manner when their earnings are growing and expanding and industries that are experiencing growth. I mean, Defense industry obviously is experiencing growth. Yeah. We have an we have an administration that wants to see our defense built up. That's great. That's going to happen. You know, so <clears throat> nothing wrong inherently with index investing. It's just that, like in so many instances, you know, the, it's great until it until it's not sort of thing. All right, we'll get into more of this on the other side. We got to take a break. This is Money Talks. By the way, we've got to talk about smart beta more and find out what exactly that is. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Talks with Capstone Wealth Management along with Chris Klein. I am Mike Bilch. We're with you till 10 o'clock this morning, taking you through the week that was the financial world. Give out the 
best advice there is out there for investors. And if you want to get in contact with Chris, fee-only financial advisory service, it's 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can also send him an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. And he also spends his time tweeting as things happen in real time. And you can check him out there at Care For My Wealth. All right, talking about earnings expectations for the third quarter and then how that's going to affect the markets. Let's get into let's get into the smart beta, B-E-T-A. I thought you said smart data earlier. So smart beta makes even less sense to me now. So you're going to have to explain what we're really getting into here. Yeah, so <laughs> smart beta, it's a, it's a funny thing because there's been so much um, – talk, I, I guess is the right word, and so much activity about the, uh, the exchange-traded fund world, right? Um, it, it, my first encounter with, with smart beta was, uh, it was in terms of a, an ex- exchange-traded fund ETF, was a company from Wisdom Tree um, about mm, 10 years ago or so. Um, Wisdom Tree is a company that uses uh, index weighting methods uh, other than market capitalization for its ETFs. All right, that's fine. This one in particular weighted its earnings or dividends. I, I can't remember which it was, but right. I, I thought that um, you know that was was interesting. Is is that it it, it kind of posed a fairly interesting philosophical point of view. Wisdom Tree had at the point, in essence, created its own index an index that it believed would outperform another index. That's essentially what they were doing. But wait a minute. Isn't the whole point of an index to track the market? That's, that's where the, the fall-off kind of came. So, you know, since when are we constructing indices to outperform the market? Uh-huh. And this is what is called smart beta, the idea that you can build an index that will provide superior returns at a lower cost, maybe with reduced volatility. So it's a way to just show the market, you know more about the market than the market does in a way. It's like yeah, saying you, I am, it's kind of like you're a super guru. Yeah, kind of. Well, that's what, that's what marketing operations are attempting to, to, to show people, right? Um, I guess the logical question is, well, how in the world do you come up with these things? And, the answer for operations that market to these things is that you backtest. Uh-huh. You start from some economic premise, say that companies with lower valuations will outperform over time. And I think that's kind of a, that statement right there, I think is a, a true statement, but I'm just going to use that as a basic economic All right. premise. All right. So if you start with that, next what you would do is you would build a hypothetical index and then you go back in time using the computer to see if your premise was true. Okay. If it's true, then you build an index around it. it <laughs> and this is what marketing operations in the world of finance do, and that's why you've seen so many exchange-traded funds hit the market over the past 10 years, is that everybody and their brother are attempting to come up with some new and better marketing idea that sounds like a great thing that, oh, uh, you know, the market hasn't had that. And the next thing you know, they start collecting money. Okay, totally makes sense. But 
Shouldn't you have to go back and find more than one instance where your hypothesis worked? Because to me, if it only worked one time, that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and so when you backtest something, I mean, we've used backtesting techniques in terms of trying to help identify what kinds of indicators would have triggered under certain economic distresses or certain, certain economic yeah. events. That's different in terms of the type of backtesting that we do. That's different than this kind of backtesting, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you know, it, what I find funny, when, I mean, most of these ETFs are built off of some structured backtest. And, and what I find funny about this is that a mutual fund company is super fast to tell you that past performance is not indicative of future results. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> a million times. But yet then money is plowing in left and right to smart beta strategies based on past performance. So <laughs> I, I don't think people are really thinking about what they're putting their money into sometimes when they're doing this. And I'll give you an example. Well, first of all, you can backtest pretty much anything. And, sure. and, and if it outperforms the market, hey, what the heck, you know, throw it in. <clears throat> there, was, there was a piece in Bloomberg uh, by a gal by the name of Danny Berger, <laughs> and it was hilarious. Probably one of the greatest pieces of financial journalism ever because right. she decided that she was going to get into the, uh, the, the whole smart beta creating index thing, right? And, and what she did was is she created a hypothetical smart beta exchange-traded fund based on cats. <laughs> okay. So how did this happen? Well, so what she did was is she went out and she decided that she was going to build an ETF of companies that had the word cat in its name, right? Just randomly do this. Random. Like Caterpillar or something. Yep, perfect. Caterpillar. If if the company's name had communication in it because the word cat is in communication, that company got thrown in there too. So she built this thing, she back-tested it over a six-year cycle, and found it had an 850,000% return. That sounds pretty tasty, I'd say. <laughs> That's like eating prime rib every day there. It's like every day, you know, and I'm laughing about that because, well, first of all, if anything worked that well, that long, it wouldn't work anymore because everybody would be piling into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's where people have to understand the dynamicism of the market and what it means to truly be a flexible money manager. Because if you have a technique or a strategy that is blowing the doors off of whatever, eventually that's not going to blow the doors off of the total return world anymore because people are going to find out and it's going to be it's going to be overindulged. Well, she should keep it on the down low then. Keep it to herself. It, well, <laughs> It was just a hypothetical, you know, she had the resources of Bloomberg available to her yeah. to go through this sort of stuff and kind of figure out it would it would work or not work. She but had a lot of extra time, too, apparently. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it became part of her, you know, financial study. And, I mean, a lot of people would call that kind of, you know, study, the cat study, we'll call it, silly. You know, because, well, there was really no economic basis for believing that companies with the name cat in them right. will perform anything. randomness, yeah. But that, see, that's where we're at today in the world of ETFs. I mean, 
researchers that are building these things spend piles and piles and piles of time and money backtesting stuff until they find something that works. And then they build a marketing plan around that thing and tell you, hey, aren't we great? Look at the returns we generated in a hypothetical scenario. And, of course, they give that to you in, in you know, small print. But it's not founded in economic reality. Backtesting is not forward testing, right? Right. It, these are the things that I don't think average investors are being told. And, and here's what it does, Mike. It creates an entire generation of investors who return hop. And here's what I mean by return hop. They're betting on last year's winner all the time. Okay. It, it's kind of like saying in the world of baseball, since we're hot in the playoffs right now, it, it's like saying that this year's batting champion is going to be the same guy as last year's. Right. Yep, I get it. Yep. Well, when does that happen? Mm, I mean, uh, only a handful of times. Very rare, yeah. right? Yeah. More often than not, somebody else jumps in the seat and it moves forward. Investing is not too dissimilar from that. You know, you might have a firm or an operation that has a year or two of lean returns, right? And all of a sudden, an investor might get, oh, I'm not, just, I'm not getting the returns I should get. Look at the market is up 10 and I'm only up 6. Mm -hmm. it, 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 that's kind of how it might go in the real world, right? So the investor does what? They jump ship from one manager and go jump to another manager. And just as they do that, the manager they left just posted a 20% above market average. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what just happened? It, Mike, it happens all the time. Investors are their own worst enemies, and I see it all the time. Investors are their own worst enemies because they allow emotion to cloud judgment. And that emotion is no greater than when markets are doing well and portfolios are perhaps not keeping up exactly the same. Right. Well, look, it doesn't last forever. It, <laughs> you just have to get through a particular cycle. What works in the market is a strategy that has had consistent results and consistent returns over a long period. You're going to get some instances where years are lean, but those lean years are going to be far and few between, and eventually things will catch up. It's just the reality of the way the world goes. So if there's any caution that I would give an investor as it relates to the world of exchange-traded funds right now, is you really got to do your homework on these things. Mm -hmm. it, grabbing the most recent ETF because it's showing a marketing plan based on fantastic res return results may not mean that they did it. it. It may, in fact, be nothing more than this backtesting stuff, right? The other thing that I need to caution investors on is don't allow yourself to get too emotional over stuff. Now, if, if your money manager did something to make you upset, and I'm not sure what that would be. Mm -hmm. um, okay, fine. I understand desires to, to switch or to change if, if you feel as if you're not being paid attention to or, you know, if you're not getting communicated with. I mean, we send a lot of emails, and we do that just clearly in an attempt to try and keep up with everybody and, and touch base and, and do it in a manner that's consistent with being efficient. I mean, as much as I would love to be on the phone every day and talk to people daily, it's just not possible. And it's not possible to put someone on our staff on a task like that either. So that's why we send out emails saying, hey, here's what we think is happening. Here's how it might affect you in the near term. Here's how this is going to look over a period of time. Here's what we expect mm -hmm. from it. 
if you've got any specific questions, you know, let us know. I mean, we're easy to find. I mean, shoot, radio, Twitter, email, phone, you know, all these things. We're, we're an easy operation to, uh, to connect with if someone decides that they'd like to. All right, we've got some stuff to wrap up on the other side, uh, more of the smart beta stuff as well. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. I am Mike Pilch along with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. To get in contact with Chris, it's 866-596-9886. You can also send him an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. It's really the same stuff all the time when we're talking about investment, Chris. Stress patients, stress patients, stress patients. Don't get too euphoric. Don't get too down. And when things seem too good or seem too bad, that's that's when the market's really telling you the most in a way. So you can never take a day off. Yeah, you learn the most at the extremes, you know, mm-hmm. and on the periphery. You really do, um, and and that's that's important stuff to remember. Because hey, guess what? Emotion investing is emotional because you're dealing with money. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, so it takes time to kind of get through that, and you know, nowhere is it more emotional in the midst of a super distressful market, where perhaps people aren't unable to sell if they want to, uh-huh. and. You know, since we're talking about exchange-traded funds, you know, that, that have been built out of thin air in so many instances over the past number of years with this smart beta stuff, one of the things that I think gets talked about, um, yeah, a fair amount, but I don't know if it gets talked about enough, is liquidity. Okay, and yeah, yeah. So the question of liquidity is, hey, well, you know, look, if we get a really serious event that causes a massive market downturn, is liquidity going to disappear? You know, I... If I wanted to buy an ETF, am I able to get out again? And I think at least based on the research that we've done is that for most exchange-traded funds in the market today, the answer is yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, in most cases, there's going to be plenty of liquidity for this stuff. There's going to be you know, plenty of bids offering to buy or sell you know, whatever the ETF is that, that's out there trading. Um, you know, the liquidity in some of the biggest ETFs, like SPY, for example, is the ETF for the S&P 500. I mean, the liquidity for this thing is really deep. I mean, you know, it's, I think, oh, goodness, there are trades that go on in SPY as high as $400 million per trade, you know. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> there are, there's just a lot of money that's out there. Now, take the same kind of, of uh, an exchange-traded fund that invests in, um, emerging market bonds in the local currency. Well, m- maybe not. You know, <laughs> you, you if you if this is an area that's interesting to someone, what they've got to do is make certain that the daily volume of that particular ETF is minimum ten times greater than how many ever shares you own. So if you own a thousand shares, that thing had better be trading well over ten thousand shares a day. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to get stuck. Oh, man, you've got to keep so much information in your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes more than I like, for sure. Um, thankfully, we have computers that help us to keep everything sorted out and, and worked through and, you know, managed in a manner that keeps, uh, keeps the details in check. So, 
Look, and it's and, and the conversation over the last couple of segments as it relates to ETFs certainly is not to try and draw a negative light on ETFs. I think that they are a wonderful instrument that can be used by a lot of different investors in a lot of different ways. It's just that like so many financial products that have been created over the last 20 years, there's so many that it's easy to get lost in the mix. Yeah. You know, and you 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 inherently you, you dive into one, saying, "Oh, this is this is the greatest thing," and you don't take just a few minutes to look at, well, what what is it? What is the average daily volume of this thing? What's it trade? Um, who who's who's the supporter and backer of it? Who created it? How did they create it? Did they create it by way of a back testing technique? How long has it been trading in the market? I, there's a number of questions that you just become accustomed to asking yourself if you're intending to get into one of these, you know, odd types of, uh, you know, elements, if you're sticking to the big stuff, you know, SPY or QLD or, you know, ones that cover the NASDAQ or stuff like that, chances are that you're going to not only have way more enough liquidity than you need, um, but that it will in fact track very, very close to what the market is doing. Um, Mm -hmm. But but that's the key. You know, if you're going to buy an ETF that tracks an index, well then buy the one that tracks the index. Don't buy one that's attempting to beat the index because it's investing in cats or something ridiculous like that, you know? All right, about a minute left here. How do you want to wrap things up? Well, so third quarter's uh, kicking in gear here. We're going to start to see earnings reports pouring in over the next uh, beginning in a week or so. Um, And as that happens, it is not out of the realm of possibility to see volatility start to kick up. Um, and that would just essentially be a result of how the market is responding and reacting to the earnings report that's kicking in. But people are really going to have to pay attention to how the hurricanes affected the earnings of a number of companies in the system these days. And it's, it's a little too early to tell. We just think that the earnings reports are going to be slow and steady, uh, better than average. Um, but if they don't beat, then that's where the worry comes. Yeah, and we may not know for months the effect that uh, the markets are going to take from the hurricane. So we're a long ways off. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch, and this has been Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.